Um, <clears throat> tonight's going to be a little bit interesting. I'm going to um, mention to see how he leads some of what we do. But um, I want to start with saying something interesting. I was listening to a Graham Cook teaching a couple of weeks ago. Everyone know Graham Cook? Okay, extraordinary theologian, leader, um, phenomenal man of God, leading a, an incredible ministry in the States. And um, <clears throat> he was telling a story in the, in the session or in the, in the teaching. And he was speaking about how a whole bunch of his friends who were unsaved over a season came to know Jesus, got saved, began to follow him, became passionate and radical for their faith. And over the space of a couple of years, slowly but surely, almost every one of them that came to faith that were close to him had a similar conversation with him. And they said this, a lot of them were successful in the secular context, a lot of them had done very, very well, and they mentioned to him, hey, listen, Graham, ever since we've started to follow Jesus, it almost feels like everything we do, we resisted. Almost feels like at every step, it's like we're standing against things. It's almost easier to be a part of the world. It's almost easier to do things the world's way. It's almost easier not to actually be in this kingdom. Anyone ever felt like that? Okay, you start to follow Jesus, and it feels like all hell breaks loose. And I remember listening to him say something that has just completely reframed something in my thinking around the way we relate to situations and even certain seasons of our lives. He said this. He says, all hell begins to break loose because the Father is beginning to hand the enemy over to you. I'm going to say that again. He said, it feels like all hell breaks loose because the Father is beginning to hand the enemy over to you. So we understand that as we come into the kingdom of God, we become sons and daughters. So we become heirs. And in doing so, we become the legitimate authority of God on earth. Everyone believe that? Okay. So we become the true tangible authority of the king as we walk the earth. But now what that means is this, is that as we begin to step into destiny, as we begin to step into the inheritance of what it is to be a son and a daughter following Jesus, there was an enemy that was occupying the space, the land, and the territory you're about to step into. He realizes he's about to lose something. So it feels like all hell is breaking loose, but it's because you're being resisted because the enemy is about to lose something in a generation. Doesn't that shift your heart around some of the stuff that you have faced? And for me, it's very real in a couple of senses that for me, I know where I am in fear that is most likely where the Father is about to lead me. Because the Father, the enemy is not going to stand in a place that the Father is not taking me. So right now, what do you fear? Ask yourself. Because that's probably where you're about to go. That's probably where the Holy Spirit is about to empower an inheritance and begin to undo and dismantle a stronghold of something that the enemy is doing on the earth. Sound good? So I got a phone call a couple days after I had this, um, this theological framework in my head, thinking about one or two things. I got a phone call from a friend, very successful businessman, um, amazing man, um, me, he said, Alison, we're in a bit of a tight space. Um, I need you to pray for me. We're walking very closely. So it was one of those things where we're like, hey, we've got a couple of things we're facing. Can you pray into them for me? Put the phone down 100%, turn to the Father. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'm available to you. And I kind of changed the way I'm thinking. And I go, hang on a second. He's facing some stuff. What's the enemy about to lose? Let's change the conversation and the prayer language and the declaration we're about to bring. Okay. 
So as I do that, and bear with me, everything around experience is subject to the word, but I go into an encounter. I literally step into a room. And it was a really, really dark room. Almost felt evil in some senses, and I was, felt very alone, although the power of God was surrounding me. And in the middle of the room, I could see a figure, and he was basically seated at a table by himself. And I was kind of trying to acclimatize myself to, the, to kind of the dark, vivid scene that I was watching, and I involuntarily start to walk towards this figure. As I start to walk towards this figure, in my heart, all of a sudden, I realize, as the Holy Spirit prompts me, that's Satan. Okay, bear with the language. So as I'm now walking towards him, I stop just behind him, and he's in the middle of the room by himself. He's seated at the table, and I'm basically, as he's seated here, I stand behind him, and I saw a little book on a table, on the table in front of him. And as, he, as I saw the book, he picked it up and he began to write in it. And as I looked closer, because it was dark, I saw it was a checkbook. And he started to write checks. So I saw the enemy starting to write checks. Wrote a check, tore it, put it aside. Wrote a check, tore it aside. Sorry, put it aside. And as I watched that, all of a sudden, my eyes opened in the spirit, and I saw what looked like a region or a city, bear with the language, this is a little bit metaphoric, that was chained and in bondage. So it was literally like chains everywhere, all over the city. It was like bound. And as he began to write the checks, all of a sudden the chains began to break off the city in this region. All of a sudden, this thing, this, everything that was basically had this, this city or region in, in limitation began to break off. So all of a sudden the chains broke off and it was completely free and open. And I watched light and color begin to enter the city in this region. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me as I began to watch the scene play out. And long story short, what ended up happening was, is that his people began to rise up within the city. They became the innovative voice. They became the emerging voice within the region. They became the answer and the solution to what the region was facing. And all of a sudden, the church and his people began to become the answer in different sectors of society. They were the people that people were going to turn to in a moment. It was like they were the emerging creative voice, if that makes sense, into each, each different sector of society. And the scene completely changed in front of me. All of a sudden, his people had taken this region, and it looked like a completely different scene. And as I watched the scene change in front of me, and as I watched the checks being written, I saw everything stop, and the father had a conversation with me, and he said this. He said, Warren, the enemy has now been assigned to give back to my people what's been stolen. And we've been in a season, as a, as a, not just us as a community, but as a church at large, where there are inheritances and places and territories that are meant to be owned by his people that are now not. And one of the ways he's going to begin to unlock our ability to take regions and nations is by resourcing us in a whole new way. Does that make sense? And for that marketplace leader in the space that he was in, he's a man that is actually standing for resources for nations. He's at that level, that capacity. And it made me begin to wonder for people in our context, for the people at large within our region. When the enemy is being handed over to you, what is he about to lose? Does that make sense? So in some contexts, resources, actual physical resources, are actually going to break open space for the church to be resources, resource to take ground. Does that make sense? Where you felt resisted, 
where you've almost felt like the enemy has tempted you, can I say this? Most of this is, a, is, is going to be faced in the same way that Jesus faced in his temptation, a declaration as he entered in that this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. He enters into temptation, and the evil one in the temptation moment says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. And can I say this? I have a feeling as a community that, that what has arisen in the moment is a conversation of attacking identity. And can I just say this? You are a son and a daughter of God. And that is what this is about. It's his sons and his daughters representing him and taking ground on the earth. Harvest is an apostolic resource house to this community. I truly believe that. And in a moment in a season, there's something shifting within us, and that is we were in a place where we were holding ground for the kingdom, and we're shifting into a place where we're about to take ground for the kingdom. We're beginning to p- become a people that represent the Father to a region, to resource them in people and financially, etc., a number of different things. And the biggest, thing is, uh, the biggest thing for me are there are souls waiting. There are lives waiting to be transformed through an activated community. So where you've been resisted as a person, our community has, always, has also been resisted as a community. Okay, I want to read a text. We're going to unpack some stuff, and then we're going to have some fun. Sound good? Cool. So I don't know if you can put up Luke 8. Okay, so we're going to read quite a long text. It's going to make sense as we go. These two stories or narratives are generally told in isolation and separately and not as part of the same event. But we're going to speak, we're going to talk into it, and we're going to make sense of it now. So in verse Luke 8, verse 22, you can follow it in your, up, up on the screen, or you can follow it on a, on a Bible or a, whatever you've got in front of you. <laughs> One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came up on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is an opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert." Then, so Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said to him, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and he begged them to, to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and he heard rush down the steep bank into the, into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and, and told it to the city and into the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. 
Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boats and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Whew. That was a long scripture. So, story we know. Everyone heard these stories? Both of them? Okay. Jesus says, we're going to set out to go to the other side of the lake. They get in a boat. Jesus falls asleep. The disciples awake, encounter a windstorm. Raging sound, wind, waves break into the boat. They turn to him, Jesus, we're perishing. We're about to die. He wakes up, calms the storm, rebukes the winds, the waves, calms the storm, and he rebukes them for not acting on the grace that was available to them. They marvel at him, carry on going. They get to the other side of the lake, and there meet them, there waiting for them, is a naked man. Can you imagine the scene? Okay. Can you imagine the poor disciples? Okay, they're astonished at Jesus, but I don't think they got much sleep that night. They get to the other side of the lake, and there's a demon-possessed man. Okay, legion means 6,000. Okay, there's a man possessed by 6,000 demons. The intensity of what cutting himself, the torment, what he physically would have looked like. Jesus steps onto the land, onto the land and the, that man is busy waiting for them. So I want to talk about legion for a second. So... The reason we're talking about this as one story and, and not isolating them in two is this, is that there's scholars and leaders who believe that Legion was a demonic regional stronghold. So that man hosted a demonic influence above and beyond that it was terrified, terrifying and creating a stronghold within that region. Does that make sense? So people were scared. No one could restrain him. No one could control him. He was kept on guard. There was something that he represented in that region that terrified the people around him. So people believe, so certain scholars and leaders believe, that the storm that arose and the storm that the, that the actual apostles encountered, that Jesus encountered, was sent by that regional stronghold. So I know that might sound a little bit out there, and you go, well, should, you know, does, does the devil, does, does the enemy have the ability to mess with matter? Does he have control? Well, he also cast the demons out, and they manifested in pigs in what was material. They ran into the lake and they died. So we often look at this text and we often look at texts in an interesting way. We'll look at it and read it and go, say the story of, the, of Jesus in, in the boat with his disciples, from a little bit of an attached way, if it makes sense. A little bit of like rereading, for me anyway, I'll just be reading on a Sunday afternoon, not really actually engrossing myself in the reality of what they were facing. So we'll look at the story going, oh, well, Jesus was just going to bring a revelation of who he was in the moment. But they quite literally were facing death. The enemy quite literally, was when, when the disciples, who were fishermen, most of them, turned, they were experienced watermen. When they turned to Jesus, said, we're about to perish, they knew the capacity of a boat. They knew what they were facing. So as much as Jesus turns and, and it rebukes them, they knew what they were facing. So in the same sense, Legion, who gets set free and who gets sent into a city and region to liberate it, that demonic stronghold knew what was coming. Am I making sense? 
the enemy knew that he was about to lose that territory. The historians who believe that Legion, we don't know his name, that he became an extraordinary evangelist, that he was actually set in motion where his life was marked with reaching multiple, multiple people, amazing amount of people with the gospel. It's not extraordinary that the father would take that which was used against his people and set it in motion where he begins to literally disrupt and dismantle what he's doing in that region to the same person who was, caused, was used to cause harm. Making sense? Jesus is extraordinary. In the midst of what arises, what's sent through legion, what they're facing, he's sleeping in a boat. Can you imagine? He's probably wet. The sound of the windstorm, it's like a squall, must have been deafening, and he's asleep. He's probably soaked, and he's asleep. You see, he was living in a reality greater than what they were facing. He was a son in relationship with the father who understood his position. So the state of his existence wasn't based on external circumstance. It was based with a kingdom within that is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So he stands up and he declares a calm, but he has authority to do so because his internal world is at calm, it is at rest. And we know through Bill Johnson, him saying, we cannot have authority over that which we do not have peace. And the question is this, when he rebukes the winds, the waves, and his disciples, he says, you have little faith. Why didn't you act on your faith? He's saying, why didn't you take hold of the grace that I've given you? Because his expectation was that the disciples had everything that they needed to calm the storm on their own. See, I found myself in the last season um, going through a couple of storms, a couple of trials. Um, and I found myself having asked the wrong question, feeling like I'm in a boat, feeling like, hey, I, you know, <laughs> can you not see what, what I'm facing? Can you not see? Can you not see that this thing's overtaking us? Can you not see the external circumstances that we're facing, Jesus, Father? And often I've, I've found myself in the moment, in a moment of weakness, going, you know, Father God, where, Jesus, where are you? Anyone felt that before? Facing a circumstance, going, Jesus, where actually, where are you here? Where are you in this? And he had a conversation with me recently about the fact that I was asking the wrong question. He said, you should have been asking me, who are, who are you? You should have been asking me, son, who am I that I could be at rest in this moment? Because the reality is this, is that the storm recognized the revelation of Jesus. And in a moment that you and I would be facing certain things that the enemy would be throwing at us, the answer to that storm, the, that answer to that very thing is the revelation of Jesus that he's bringing into us, that he's bringing to us. Does that make sense? Whose boat are we in? Is it his boat? Or is it our boat? Because he said to them, we're going to the other side. He's already given them a prophetic word that we're going to get there. He's already told them within reality that they're going to take the steps into that land. And many people have been cut off generationally because they've heard the word of the Lord, they've got a prophetic word, and they've stopped 
because the circumstances have said no. Anyone recognize that within their own heart and their own life? I mean, one of them myself. But can I say this? If you're following Jesus, he's not in your boat. You're in his. It's his mission. It's his story. Worship in and of itself is not about us. It's about him. Our lives are being yoked as laid down lovers, as sons and daughters following another. Because can I just say the territory that is coming, the legion that we're about to face in terms of taking land is a greater battle than the one we're in right now. Every now and again in the kingdom, the reward for a victory is a greater battle. Anyone been in a situation where they've gone, yes, it just feels like I'm fighting victory after, I'm fighting battle after battle. Anyone been there? The Father's rewarding you for your faith. Because he believes in you. Because he's in the boat with you. Because he is the one who is asking you to look at him and look at what he is doing. The father said to me once, Warren, do you want to be like me? Um, that kind of messed with my head a little bit because I already believed I was like him. <laughs> Frustrated a little bit, I'm like, oh, do I have bad theology? Is that you now talking, God? And I felt him say, Warren, I'm at rest. If you want to be like the father, if you want to be like Jesus in a situation, he's at rest because the work is complete. And until we find rest, and until we find peace, we're never going to rule over the situations we face. So what's happened is, is that many people have taken massive transitionary seasons of being on, upon waters where they're not ready to get to the other side. Anyone facing delay right now? It's because there's an increased revelation of Jesus that is waiting for you in the boat, that is waiting for you in the yoke that you're in. And he knows that there is a greater battle coming for you, but that has already been marked with victory. So Legion recognizes Jesus. What are you going to do with me, son of the Most High God? What have you to me? He's already defeated. And the reality is as we move forward, he's already won the victory in terms of what we're stepping into. I want to take a moment to talk about Joshua. Is that cool? Am I, everyone still with me? Okay, awesome. Can you throw up the scripture from Joshua? Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. They have passed through the Jordan, and he gets to a point which we're going to pick up on now. It says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Can we just go back to that scripture? Joshua lifted up his eyes, and he saw a man standing with a drawn sword. A drawn sword means something. I'm ready for battle. Okay? Next, next slide. Awesome. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said to him, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua is about to take land in the promised land. They've crossed through the Jordan, they're in the land of promise, and there crosses, crosses his path as a man with a drawn sword. 
He walks up to him and he goes, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the commander of the armies of the living God says, no. Joshua falls down at his feet and starts to worship. Can I just say this? This was not an angel. It was Jesus. Because no angel would allow a son of God to worship him. And what does he say? Take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And there's a moment of encounter that Joshua gets included in where there's a revelation of this is the commander of the army of the living God. Joshua needed a revelation of who Jesus was for him in that moment. We're about to take on armies that are bigger than us. We're about to face giants in a land. The revelation he needed was who is with me, who is the one. And he at the moment was revealed as the commander of the armies of the living God. Does that make sense? Joshua needed that revelation of the one with the drawn sword. He was ready for battle. He was ready to lead them. And the second thing is this. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. He needed to realize where he was standing was holy. You're fighting from a holy place. Rest and resting with Jesus in a boat in a season, although the storm is standing up, that's a holy place to be. Am I making sense? If you're not sure what to do, ask him, who are you right now for me? Who are you? What is the revelation of who you are? Because that is what I need to know. And if you're not sure what to do, take off your sandals because he is holy. And you don't fight from any ground. You fight from holy ground. Now, I can go into the gospel, guys, and it says something extraordinary, that you occupy the same space as Jesus in heaven. You've been included in his resurrection where we right now rule from victory, not toward victory. So we begin to live in the overflow of what we occupy within the Father is this very same place. So that when the enemy sees you, he sees him. That is why there is fear. That is why you're being resisted. Am I making sense? So I, I nearly did a teaching um, a little while back with a group of people um, <clears throat> with the title, Our Jesus is Too Small. Because I think what we do oftentimes is we come to him trying to apprehend who he is, but on our terms. And on the parameters around our perception. Does it make sense? It's almost like we equate him to what we know. When the truth of it is we're meant to come to him and he's meant to alter the parameters of our perception. To begin to redefine what it is to be a son. One drop of his blood redefined history. He's never lost one fight. And there's a very, very big difference between comfort and security. He's not here to make you comfortable. But what I can say is this, is that Jesus, Jesus deeply loved his disciples. And he was completely okay with them being uncomfortable because he knew that they were secure. You've got to know your security. You've got to know who you are. doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what steps you take. You're his. 
and the situations you might face might become extraordinarily uncomfortable, but what you can know is a security that comes from the king. Am I making sense? That regardless of what you're facing, he is with you. And your ability to perceive him and walk with him in ever-increasing sense, because can I be honest with you, in my life, all I want to see is Jesus. I just want to see Jesus. Even prophetically, if I'm honest with you, so much of the prophetic sense is when I see Jesus, I begin to see what he sees. As a generation, if we see Jesus, we will calm storms. Because the reality is this, is their inability to see Jesus in that moment was their inability to calm a storm. Because when you see him, it's like in a mirror, you begin to see yourself. Can I say as a young man, coming to know him, I, I didn't love myself. I'd lived a very worldly life. And if I'm honest with you, coming into understanding of his love, I kind of just didn't get it at first. And I remember going into a series of encounters where I looked into his eyes and I began to see myself this, the way he saw me. And one day I woke up and went, what right do I have to see myself in any other way? Other than perfectly loved, other than just and so much of the glory of what we have is experience. I can try and stand here and explain to you what's going on, but there's something about stepping into the experience of who he is. Something about stepping into the ability to experience his goodness that goes beyond good theology. Sound good? So I'm gonna ask a question. Can I say this? Some of you guys in the room might be going, well, Flip, I'm not facing any storms right now. Life's good. Anyone there? Okay, you don't have to put up your hand. It's fine. <clears throat> so the sailing's easy. You know what I mean? So does that mean I'm doing something wrong? No, it doesn't. But what I can say is when you're in a moment or a space where you take in ground, take all of it. So what I spoke to, when I spoke to my friend, when I came out of that encounter and that vision, I said to him, you take every check. That was my biggest thing. You take every check that he's, that he's writing. Don't stop when you think you get to a specific place. Get every single thing available. If you're in a moment where everything is advancing, take hold of it all. Does that make sense? Don't hold back. Don't just go with the flow. Take hold of who you are and where he's taking you. If you're in a moment where you've been resisted and it's felt like all hell is broken loose, there is a revelation of Jesus waiting at your side. That is the answer to what you're facing. Because there is land that you're about to take. Sean, can you come up? Thank you. Terrible. Um, I was chatting to a, oh, what am I doing? Losing focus. I was chatting to a young man, um, a young leader named Matt Lewis. Um, he's someone that our generation is going to hear about soon. One of the most phenomenal young men of God. And we were having a conversation about this subject. We're talking about um, being resisted, um, just the, the Father handing the enemy over to us, authority, etc., etc. And we're talking, and I was looking at both of us going, flip, some of this journey has been insanely difficult. And there's been a real cost, and there's been a real sacrifice that in moments it's actually felt like it's gone too far. Anyone's felt like that? And what I realized very, very quickly was 
I think in the moments that we're contending for territory in terms of what's next, I think the enemy, knowing that he's about to lose something, will try and take territory in you and I. And what I mean by that is this, if you look at the nation of Israel, when they stepped into the land of promise, they didn't fully occupy it because the enemy occupied them in fear and in anxiety. The storm that came to the disciples that rose up was the enemy trying to take territory in them so when they got there, he would have a way back into the land. Am I making sense? Kind of. Because Jesus, if you were here a couple of weeks ago with Jess, is meant to be on the throne of our hearts. And he's trying to unseat him from the place of rest and the place of honor in us. Well, just close your eyes for a second. Father, we want to thank you for your extravagant love for us. I want to thank you for the way that you believe in us. But you're not scared of us facing battles because you believe in who we are. You believe in what you've done in us and you believe in what we stand for in you. So Holy Spirit, I ask even right now that you would break off the pain of this last season. And all the places that the enemies try to take territory in your people in anxiety and fear and in depression. Right now, I want to thank you that you are the yoke. You're the anointing that breaks every yoke. Right now, we just thank you that fear has no hold and no place in any heart or in this community. And I just ask right now that you would begin to speak dreams, that you would begin to reinvent the wheel around what it looks like to be yours, that you would begin to release revelation of who you are, of what's possible, of what's available, of the territory and the ground that you've designed for every person to take, because every person in this room is extraordinary. And I just pray tonight that you begin to unlock destinies where people have been in the boat and try to turn around to go back to shore in safety. We thank you that you're calling them back upon the waters because there is a storm that will be calmed over their lives and there is a territory to be taken in you. And we begin to break delay over seasons where breakthrough is now. It is not in your tomorrow. It is now that you begin to speak to the storm and to begin to allow a voice to rise up within your sons and daughters of authority and understanding of who they are. I want to thank you for the nations that are waiting for Claudia and Gerald. I want to thank you for a mission ablaze heart, Father, to see many come to know your name. I want to thank you for a sword that looks like a combination of evangelism and prophetic call. And I want to thank you that they are a dual-edged sword that you're about to resource nations with. We break every lie and every tension off this season in your name.
Okay, can I open your eyes? So, um, <clears throat> I had a, before I went to, uh, fell asleep last night, um, I had this vision of um, these beautiful doors that were closed and they were under lock and chain. And I watched the, the scene play out in front of me and um, I asked the father, like, Father, these doors are all closed, nothing's open. And it was almost like they were beginning to get overgrown with vines and it was starting to look almost dirty and untouched and almost becoming like a no-go zone. And I felt the Father say to me, these doors don't open with lock and key. And I felt the Father say to me, they open through the voice of my people declaring what is theirs. And I feel like there's something, if anything, that I want to stand for tonight with you. And it's this, is that where doors have been closed... You have the ability in your voice to declare open doors of destiny. You don't need to wait for something to be unlocked, but begin to declare everything that the enemies try to close on your tomorrow now open. Amen. We begin to shape our tomorrow in the same way Jesus shaped that storm into something else. We begin to shape what we're facing and shape what's available. Because we need a generation to be people who dream. Can we stand quickly? <laughs> so this is kind of finishing a little bit solemn, but that isn't the heart of it. Because can I say this? If you've been resisted, the Father's handing the enemy over to you. And he's handing territory that belongs to you back to you. Amen. And there's a sound where we get to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And so much of us shifting into the space that we're entering into is entering into his courts with thanking him for what he is doing and not whining and groaning and complaining about what he isn't. Because that is what is trapping you and I. The enemy using our voice against what he's trying to do. So just once you just lift your voice, once you close your eyes and begin to thank him for what he's doing. Thank you, God, that you have protected Rich. Thank you, God, for a leadership that is standing for something in our region. Thank you, God, for people who have missional hearts to see many touched. Thank you that right now that you're working into our region, that your spirit is abounding to touch hearts, to transform hearts, that you are not stepping down in our generation, that you're stepping up to empower our people to tack the realities of what we're facing today. And Father, we begin to declare, even with our marketplace leaders, a complete release for them to receive back what's been stolen, for you to take back the ground in them and the ground that they're stepping into. Even right now, Father, I thank you that prophetic words of yesterday are beginning to rise over people, beginning to stand over people as a reminder of the land that you're about to take. Thank you, God, for the extraordinary in you. Thank you. Thank you right now, Holy Spirit. I just want to pray something quickly. I want to declare over every ear and over every eye in the room, eyes to see and ears to hear. 
We're not going to be a generation where your voice falls on deaf ears. Where the visions of reality of what's coming and imagination that we lower our ability to see to what's in front of us rather than looking to you. Prophetically right now, we begin to activate this realm that we stand in, the unseen reality. And we want to thank you, God, for angels to begin to break in, for assignments to begin to be released again, for people who fall into the side, for them to stand up strong because they know they are the righteousness of God. Father needs to break sin consciousness here. He is not concerned about the mistakes you're making. He's concerned about your heart and what's leading you there. Thank you, Father, that this place is worthy, that every heart is worthy because you bled on a cross to bring us home. And where the enemy has tried to steal dignity and honor, we thank you, God, right now that every son and daughter in this place is rising to a new level in you in this season. Every glass ceiling, every limitation is broken in your name. We thank you for an empowered people full of the Holy Spirit like Stephen who would stand up against any opposition full of the Holy Spirit. God, I want to thank you for the church that is going to be the emerging voice in nations, not just for our church, but the church of our city, for Glenridge, for the rock. Lift your friends up in your hearts right now. For Glenridge, for the rock, for, for Anthem, God, we declare that there's a new favor arising. Father, in our context, because you're using all churches to reach all people. We thank you, God, right now that there'll be something of a stature that arise as people begin to believe who they are and to be to believe that they're in a boat with a one who is greater than the reality that they're facing. We want to be like you. We want to be at rest. We want to remain on the throne that you have placed us on. To be the mercy seat to the world around us. And may this be a love, a company of love, a people of love that would cover over a, multiple, multiple, just a multitude of sin in this generation. That we wouldn't see the fault, Father. We would see what you see in your heart beckoning every person, every time, every tribe to you. Amen.